podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The shark bait has such teeth there, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe, and it keeps it out of sight. You know when that shark bites. So welcome everybody to the latest edition of uh, Macklin's Take with me Andy Clark and Matt Macklin as always. Hope everybody's well, counting down the days to the, the festive season, it's not far away now. The, the last few weeks have really slipped by, there's been a heavy schedule with the boxing and some, some notable fights and some, some very, very good fights too. Today on Macklin's Take we've got, a, we've got a first, the first time that Matthew Macklin has been reunited with one of his old trainers, because we're in Manchester, uh, and when you come to Manchester, it would have been rude of us, it would have been wrong of us not to get Joe Gallagher on the podcast. So, Joe, thanks very much for uh, sparing us some of your time today. So, yourself and Mr. Macklin, you're still good friends, aren't you? Yeah, no, great friends. He, um, we had a great relationship. Um, he took me to LA, to the wild card gym, experienced that for the first time. And I think, unless Matthew corrects me wrong, I think... Winning the British title, the European title, and unlucky not to be crowned world champion were, were the big fights and the big moments in Matthew's career. And I was very proud to, to, to be part of it and that he chose me to help him and aid him to try and win them titles. And two out of the three we did do. Easy to train. Tell the truth. You can tell the truth. <laughs> listen, Matthew, listen, he's um, come from a good amateur background. He had Billy Graham, he'd been with Buddy McGirt. Um, a knowledgeable fighter, and um, Matthew himself knows himself. Sometimes, when you're telling him what's right and isn't right, and what's wrong's wrong, um, but I think there's always good dialogue between us. Um, things I might want him to do, he wasn't keen on. Things he didn't want him to do, where I need to push him a little bit more. But we found the right balance, and um, it worked really well. So, what he said about you on the podcast before is that by the time he got to you in his boxing career. He didn't feel that he really needed teaching all that much about boxing. But what you did better than anybody else was, was understand him, get into his head, uh, realise what made him tick and how to get the best out of him. And that, that in many ways, that is... It's an interesting debate as to what the role of a coach is, how you break it down. Because you think about someone like Sir Alex Ferguson, for example. I know you're a, you're a Manchester United fan. Do I think he had the keys to footballing tactics that nobody had ever thought of? No. Was he the best at motivating his players and getting them to, to go to the well for him every single time again and again and again? Yes, he was. It's man management, isn't it? It comes down to man management. Some guys need the cane, some guys need the arm around them. And Like, I was, like I've spoke to you before, Andy, with Joe, he made me do things I didn't want to do. You know what I mean? And... Um, he pushed my buttons, but ultimately, and he said this when I first went with him, and it's a, a corny saying in boxing, you need to get the eye of the tiger. But, and I had the eye of the tiger when I was training with Joe because it, I did do those things I didn't want to do, facing your demons, facing your fears. Oh, I don't want to do the track because I'm not good at that, or, or whatever it, it may be. Mm. You, you can't go into the ring and have that prepared to die mentality if you haven't had it for 10 weeks but you don't have it at the start of the 10 weeks you get it by going through those barriers that you don't want to do and pushing past them that's what creates it Mm. yeah you can't 
fighters got to understand, come fight night, there isn't a magic switch or a button that you flick on and goes, oh, it's got to happen. You can't have that mindset. It's got to happen. And it happened already in camp and gone through that set scenarios in the training camp that would be on fight night, changing things, unexpected things happening. It's all part of the mindset. And sometimes a lot of fighters, as Matthew say, pack a card sometimes. They blow over too easy in training camp and you've got to bring your fighter to the point where it's, in my head, I'm, I need one more round out of him and I'm going to test the boundaries here now. And if he doesn't go through this one round today and things get tough, he's shown me the quit. And sometimes they'd go, what? I'd go, one more. i go, Joe, no, I'm done. i go, all right, then. it's up to you. You're grown men, I can't make you do it. But then they'd go, get up and do it. And I thought, right, now nah, they've got it. They've got it in them, Joe, when he's got to dig deep, dig deep. There's other times, like Matthew said, you put your hand around him. But Roy Keane, me and Matthew are huge fans of him, he said the other week when he was talking about Alex Ferguson, he said, I'd be there in the changing room. And he'd be thinking to himself, what would I say here now? What would I say? And Alex just had a knack of just saying the right thing. And Roy go, why don't I think of that now? Good man management. He knew the right time to say the right thing to get the best out of the players. And um, listen for Matthew to say them type of things. And it's like quite a privilege. Like I said, he's come from a very educated background. He's a smart man and uh, very knowledgeable Hence he's doing this, and hence he's a pundit for Sky. But there were, there were really good times. And he also fitted my mentality at the time. Siege mentality, a bit like Ferguson. No one likes us, we don't care. And at the time, Matthew had just fought Gerd Aikovic, how you pronounce his name. And it was sort of like, yeah, I've, I've done Matthew now, struggled with him. So it was like, nah. Our first fight together was Wayne Elcott for the British title. Didn't have a warm-up, didn't get to know each other. And that was like, right, that suited the mentality went down there. Elcock had just lost to Abraham for the world title. Went there. I don't think many people had Matthew down to win that. And the tactics, bang on. He came back after the round two, I think it was, and would worked on the right hand over top. He says, can I let it go? And I said, no, hold that one more round. Went out, out, come back. I went, right, you can let it go. And he went out and he did it in that round. And the scenes, well, me, I'm, I'm known for jumping around the ring like a lunatic. But uh, I meant so much for him, his family, that night that everyone had half sort of like written him off already and um, he had made the sacrifice. This is one thing that I say to other fighters having worked with Matthew. Matthew had the will and the desire to carry on. He'd come up to Manchester, he'd bed himself down, he'd sleep on blow-up beds. He lived the life as a fighter, wanted to, but it came to the head. The mind was willing, but the body wasn't. Where there's other fighters times, the mind isn't, but there's plenty in the body and you just think to yourself, Use a waste in a golden opportunity here. And that was it with Matthew. He gave it all, a bit like Anthony Crawler, he gave it his all and ringed everything out that he could do and wanted to be the best that he could be in everything. And if that meant going here or going there, that's what he did. He was in charge of his own career. Another thing he said as well was that when he joined up with you, you, you taught him about a level of fitness that he previously hadn't realised existed. Uh, we did one of these with Jim McDonnell a, a while ago. And Jim was of the opinion that, I'm not quite sure the stat he threw out, but he was saying that, in his opinion, at least 50% of professional fighters, I think he put it higher actually, aren't fit, aren't what he would describe as properly fit. Mm. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Listen, Jim's old school, and he's from that. He, uh, he mostly runs two marathons a day, Jim, keeps himself fit. And half of it, I understand psychologically, he'll run to embarrass his fighters that, listen, my time was 20, 30 years ago, yet here I am, pace-setting, 
you and you're supposed to be the golden boy, the world champion and everything else. So he'd be working on that psychological aspect of it to half embarrass the fighters that he's working with at the time. But, yeah, I, I do understand. We've got to be careful as well. We've seen it in America and we've seen it come over here now, strength and conditioners and them taking more um, say in training camps. At the end of the day, and I, this is what I say to my fighters, you're a mobile phone, you're a fighter. Your job is to do your running, your sparring, your shadow boxing, your pad work, your floor work, your ground work. They're your basic things as a fighter too. You can't neglect them. Sometimes some fighters now are neglecting them and getting into doing too much what I call total fitness, David Lloyd classes, sessions, stuff like that, with people who aren't really qualified, who have no, no experience of training elite athletes at that level. Does that make sense? Because they feel it's part of the team and the in-fashion thing to do. But like Mayweather and Hopkins and the old school fighters, you've got to do your basics, and that's road work, bag work, shadow boxing, skipping, speedball, basics. That's your job. Boltons, as I call that to make you that little bit better, a nutritionist to sort out your diet and a strength and conditioner to work in areas that can improve you, 100% agree with, but you've got to employ the right ones who are used to and have a record of being able to do it, not someone who's just come off a David Lloyd course. So do you kind of have a power of veto over that if you're training? You generally tend to manage as well as train your, your lads, so... Would they have to run a choice of S&C coach or nutritionist past you? No, what I did, I'd say two years ago, I'd been watching someone for a, a good while, watching the work, seeing the work they were doing with, and I phoned him up and I said to him, I said, uh, do you want a meeting? I'd like to uh, have a meeting with you. And I said to him, I'd like you to come on board and uh, do some work with some of my fighters. And at the time, I think it was Paul Butler and Liam Smith. I knew Callum was going to the World Boxing Super Series. Um, because you've got to understand you can't be jack of all trades all right? and the workload now my fighters are all becoming championship fighters and I like to, as Matthew say, do the circuits do this and do that but there's people here that have gone to university and got massive degrees in this so you've got to understand well, they can add that little bit more to my fighter and I'm all for it so I brought him up, interviewed him and then he started working with him and the work, the lads enjoyed it. It was good. I could see what they were benefiting. And he now is an internal part of the team. They all benefit him. He looks after my lot and his brother trains Anthony Joshua. So it's Jamie Reynolds and Johnny Reynolds, the Velocity Brothers. So them two now, they absolutely, Johnny looks after my fighters. And because I know how good he is and what he's done and I've seen the results, it helps me. I still go to the sessions, I still stand over because I make sure, and I've said to him, these will keep you chatting and keep you chatting like your man here to the right. They'll keep you chatting for that extra minute, rest and everything else. They'll keep you chatting and they're good for a chat, but they'll pull on him because of the kindness. So I still go and say to him, nah, they're having you off a little bit. That's a recovery and, and that's it, do you understand? But it works well at the moment and it allows me then to be concentrating on what I'm good at. That sound familiar, Macklin? You always try to steal a few more 10 seconds if you can. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean, Joe talking there about, um, I was going to interrupt and I thought no, he's on a flow, so I let him <laughs> keep going. But uh, I remember the Sturm fight, uh, talking about pushing buttons. There was one day, I think I sparred and we did something else. It was a hard day, you know. And I remember coming back, had something to eat, and I sat back in my flat in Manchester City Centre. And I just thought, oh, sank into the city and I was exhausted. And I thought, 
You know, and I knew I had the marina at like half six or something. The marina's like it's a it's a mile around. You know, and you do you do you got to do it under six minutes, and you know. You oh yeah, a, you were telling us about this with Jim, but, but but tell it again anyway. You have a minute and a half rest, and you go again, and you, you know you do it three times. And I remember so I've sat down in the I've eaten, I've sparred eight round, hard rounds, whatever. My body's sore, I'm tired, and I'm just thinking. Ah, oh, nah, I'm done. Not, not, not because I'm, I'm lazy. Joe, I, I could moan and tell you, but I was, when I was on it, I was on it. I, I, I think I trained as hard as anyone. And um, I was like, you know, I'm older now and I've seen people overtrain. And I'm thinking, now, I'm training hard now. My body wants to rest. I'm overtraining. So I ring Joe. I go, listen, Joe, I'm not being lazy, but I'm knackered. I said, so if I, tr- if I go to the marina now and try and train, it'll be counterproductive. I need to rest. And he's like, no, come on, Matt, come on. You know, gnaws me, gnaws me, gnaws me. So I'm like, nah. Joe, I'm telling you, my body's fucked, and that's it. I said, you know, if I try now, I'll just get injured or something. And he said, well, just come and do a, a steady five mile then. And I said, well, what's the point doing that? I said, we're not doing the, the miles. There's no point. You know, this, I, I just do not want to get off this set, eh? And in my head, because I think that I'll be overdoing it if I do, because I'm really tired and I need the rest. So anyway, I said, nah, Joe, that's it. So I put the phone down. And then I'm sitting there. And now, of course, now I've got this conversation with Joe still going on. In my head, no, that's it, you know, I'm burn out. If they do something, injured and blah, blah, blah. And I was sat there and then I'm thinking, the guilt's getting me now, you know, thinking, am I being lazy? Am I being lazy? I'm questioning myself. So I'm like, so I pick you up, I go, all right, Joe, I'll come, but I'll do one mile and if I'm knackered, that's it. He goes, all right, all right, come down. Anyway, I went there, done the mile to warm up, had a bit of a stretch, ending up absolutely blasting the times, getting like under five minutes 20, fastest I'd ever done them. And I remember you saying that that was one of those. There's probably over a ten week period. There's a few moments in a camp where you think, "Nah, this is this is it. It's going to happen." Yeah, that has. There were them points that I was speaking about before when you want to push them one more. That was one of them days when you just think to yourself, "You don't do this now," because the session was good in the gym, and it's like, right, he's got to do this now because mentally. This has got to make him sound for the rest of the camp. He's come through it. He's come to Britwell. He's come through it. I think as well, if Matthew might correct me, Seamus wasn't about. Now, Seamus was in Australia, I think, at the time. And I thought to myself that day, if Seamus would have been then, Seamus would have been his buffer. I went, no, if you're tired, you're tired. You know, you have it. And Matthew, and Matthew wouldn't have come. But it's just them little things. It's mad how your mind thinks. Seamus not being there made him not have no one to say, yeah, you're right. So it made him come out. And it's just them. That, listen, we didn't get the win, but we got the performance. But it's them little things. It's mad how little things play on your mind. You could do so well for the rest of it. But it's them little things that stand out to me as a coach were huge differences to... Because I'd go... I had it recently with Sam Hyde. You mentioned... i tell you when I come to you, and this was for the Alcock fight, because there was things I did with, for the Alcock fight. It was my first fight with Joe, which I was like, nah, that, I'm not going to do that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but, I, but I did. And um, he said to me, you know, he said, Rocky three, I had a tiger. You know, he's boxing, he's sprinting. Rocky doesn't do that. He's swimming. You know, he did things he, ne- he never did before and he never wanted to do. And he thought, well, I'm not doing this. But he did do it. And it was getting past those things and bra- getting past those fears or getting past those little things you've got in your head and breaking them down. Because ultimately, your body will do whatever the mind tells it to do. Yeah. So, but you've got to do it. You know what I mean? You've got to kind of do it physically to get this right as well. If you're like, you can't just sit there and think yourself into wanting it. You've got to kind of really go through the pain of it. Break those, you know, do your personal best. 
you know, do those things. I didn't want to, I really did not want to get off that settee that day. I remember it vividly. I remember it was yesterday. Yeah. And he just gnaws me on the phone. To the point where I was like, Joe, I ain't fucking doing it. I'm knackered. And I put on. But then I sat there and it festered in my head. And then I started thinking, oh, am I being lazy? Even though I'm knackered, I'm not being lazy. But I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should, maybe it's right. Should I? Uh, uh, uh. These battles going on in my head. And then I'm thinking, fuck it. I'll go there. I'll do one lap. And if I'm fucked, that's it. I'm already giving myself the, like, the get out. But then I got there, I warmed up. Because you know, half the time, it's this what's holding you back. Once I got there and I got warmed up, I blasted it physically. But mentally, I didn't want to do it. And it was, it, it, it's hard to explain, but that kind of, that instills something in you, doesn't it, over yeah. a camp, by the time that you come to the fight then. I remember walking to the ring against Felix Sturm. I wouldn't have cared if it was King Kong yeah. walking to the ring. I didn't care. I felt invincible. Now, I know I didn't get the decision, but I put on a, a career-best performance and a performance that shocked people. Uh, you know, I, went, I threw a thousand punches. Over 12 rounds, and they were, they weren't, I weren't tip tapping. I was throwing hard shots in that, but my fitness was through the roof, wasn't it? Yeah, 100%. The thing with Matt, when he come in, liked a good warm up, got warm up, but, what, but once, the, once he started going, started to run wrong. The tempo, the enthusiasm, a bit like Anthony Crawler at the moment, the energy they brought to the gymnasium, the work ethic, and because Matthew had been around the world with Buddy McGurk and had been with Billy Graham, he, he was experienced, he came in, he work ethic, and he was a good, in my words, a new signing to the kids that were in the gym at the time, Paul Smith, Stephen Smith, John Murray, Crawler, and he was, it was up to him, as we call him football now, senior players in a changing room, Matthew Macklin, Paul Smith were them senior players, and it was up to them to lead by example, and Matthew did that, his work ethic, he put everything into it, and that's that session that he talks about, if he never done that session that day, that had knows him for the rest of the camp that he didn't do that. And he would have known that he'd done 520 or 515. That's what I'm saying. The mind is such a powerful tool. Um, but listen, it was, a, it was a fantastic performance. Great career with him. The Elcott right hand, the Asakainen left hook. Um, yeah, they're just, they're just great days. So when a fighter... When you kind of trial a fighter, if you like, or you're thinking about working with a fighter, how long does it take you to work out whether they've got what you need them to have, the kinds of things that you've just been talking about, the, the willingness to put themselves through it in training? Because it seems to me that when, when you take on a fighter, they stay with you. They don't, they don't leave quickly. They stay with you in general. We know about the ones that you agree to train. We don't know about the ones that you, you don't agree to train. But... You must, you must have it down to a fairly fine art now, that decision-making process, because it's a massive commitment training. I've got to put in here, because it's a, funny, a bit of a joke. I, I remember we were having the crack one night, and I said, we were going about something, I was telling him how, you know, he'd done so well, and he was flying at the time, and I said, yeah, I said, don't forget, I said, I'll put you on the map. And he, he, he fired back, yeah, and he goes, and I'll put you on the map. And I was like, well, no, you didn't put me on the map, but you got the best out of me. And he did get the best out of me. Uh, you know, I was a... And he knew me... Go back to when you knew me. Everton, I, Man no, United, no, no, Burnley, 93. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah he, uh, he boxed one of my kids when he was at Moss Side as a coach, Colin Ryan. It was down in New Hall College or something like that. New- Newman. Newman College. And Matthew was across the way from my kid. And uh, 
Matthew, obviously, there was huge talk of him at the time, went down there and he beat my kid. And uh, I remember him from then and then seeing him in Liverpool in the ABA. So I was well aware, knew him and everything else. And then he based himself up with Billy Graham. I, I, f- I feel at the time, when you say about taking fighters on then, what I've done in the past now for, for the few that I've joined like that, I usually give them a month trial and they're with me for a month and they get to know the training programme that we're doing. I get to see the personality see how the blending and everything else because it just takes that one wrong one to upset the apple cart and they have to have the mentality because Matt I'll tell you I want it as much as you and if you don't want it as much as me we've got a problem you should want it well more than me but I want it and I want it bad and I don't care what's gone on in the past this year Matt Christ who's on the stage I said I'll be back next year for the triple because I want Liam Smith winning another world title Callum Johnson everything else so them little things it's They've just got to... I can't say what it is I'm looking for, but they've got to have the right personality, the work ethic and the want and the desire. I'm not, I'm not looking for it as excuses because there's a library full of them. I'm not interested in that. If you want it, you've got my back 100%. And if you're with me, I'm loyal to you. I'll do anything and everything and upset, as Matt would say, everyone and anyone to do what's right for you. But you've got to give it back as well. Hey. Hey, everybody. Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in health, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desiring Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! I think that's, that's, uh, that's an interesting area you touched on there that, that I was going to get onto, is that you genuinely don't seem that bothered at all, actually in the slightest, who you upset or what people think about you. And I, I think that's an enviable position to be in because there's not that many people around who are genuinely like that a lot of people say they don't care what other people think but actually they do really but I I think you're in that kind of quite small category of people who genuinely does not give a shit you are just going to do what you think is best for your your fighters yeah I I think it's they say you can judge a person by how they deal with what's right and what's wrong and if someone's doing wrong you're doing wrong. If you're paying a fighter crap money, you're paying him crap money. Mm-hmm. And I've said to the past and promoters, all right then. Well, touch wood, nothing goes wrong. But I hope in a press conference on Wednesday, if that fella's died in the ring, you're happy telling him that you refuse to pay him this amount of money and you end up giving him garbage. You'll have to sleep with that, not me, because I've tried my best. This is a hard sport, legalised killing, dress it up how you want. And I understand what they've gone through for the last 10 months, 10 weeks, what they've gone through for the last year, training, the sacrifices, Matthew's here beside me, living in Manchester, putting digs in, costing, a fight's off. But they've just spent loads of money training, washing, new uh, food, nutrition, everything else. And then for a day, always oh, off, oh, it's cut from 10 rounder to 6 rounder, that means the money's dropped, everything else. Them things, them fighters now, especially this time of year, we're getting forward to Christmas, the water fight. They're there like little Olivers with the bowls out. Hi, Frank. Hi, Edda. Hi, Mick. And more, please. Can I have a fight? Can I have a fight? Because they've got wives. Wives are saying to them, Christmas is coming up. Are you getting a fight? They've got the pressure of, 
kids at Christmas, they've got that. It's more than just a fight. It's, it's the ripple effect, the knock-on effect. They come into me, they moan at me. Right, I'll speak to Eddie, I'll speak to Frank, I'll speak to whoever. I'll see, no, we're not on that bill. I've got to go back and tell them, no, they're not putting you on. Why are they not putting you on? Don't know, you're just not the flavour of the month. But they've invested 20 years of their career from age 10, age 8, to now the age of 28, 29, to have the benefits back of it, and the doors are opening. So sometimes when opportunities come, and this is what I say to the fighters, you've got to be in the gym. No one's got to give you 12 weeks' notice. You're not Joshua, mm -hmm. and you're not Callum Smith. All right, they're the ones that will get that. You've got to get a phone call on four, five, six weeks. You've got to be in the gym. You've got to be old school. Never be more than 10 pounds overweight, there or thereabouts. Phone call comes, we go to it. The 12-week training camp, that only came from Ricky Hatton because he spent four weeks, first four weeks, getting his weight down. You interview Mickey Ward, he'll tell you, all we ever did, the old school fighters, was eight weeks training camp. Because even, always even six weeks? Yeah, six, because they're always there and thereabouts. So it's up to the fighters to be on it. But as far as, I do give a shit. I, 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 take a, I, I, I do give a shit when, it, when social media trolls and it affects my family. They're shithouses that do that. And that affected me bad. I nearly packed in this sport 10 months ago due to it, but they've come through it. But it does affect me in that sense. But through my fellow peers, I know people in boxing who matter, who count, the fighters I've worked with, they respect me. And I'm here in this business, like I've always said, I'm not here to make friends. I'm paid by my fighters to win titles and win fights. I'm not here to be paid by them, to be Mr. Popular. I'm here to win fights. And if my fighters see me talking me and saying I'm out of the ball, they fuck me off. Sorry for swearing. But they would do, do you understand? Yeah, swear away. <laughs> well, it, when you got the award at the, the, uh, the dinner, the um, border control dinner, and you went up to get it, and you mentioned at the end, and, and you said that we should all be a bit kinder to each other on social media. It's, uh, it's a vicious, vicious world we live in at times. So I took myself off social media as far as it interacting. I just posted stuff for the lads in it, refused to do interviews with certain um, um, companies, and um, that was it because of what pe people don't realise on social media. And I sit there on Saturday night sometimes, and I see social media. Us as licence holders, coaches, judges, refs, everything else, need to stand together. I don't see no judge or no ref on social media on Saturday night blaming me, Shane McGuigan, Robert McCracken, anyone for our tactics, fighters or anything else. So why should we sit at home blaming them? We're in a sport that human errors happen. No one's perfect, no one gets it on. But if we're there on a Saturday night slagging fellow trainers, fellow fighters, you're seeing that as acceptable for the general public to be able to do that. And that's what happens. We shouldn't. We come, great, we come together when someone passes away, God bless their souls, when there's an awards. But we don't, we don't want to, if you've got a problem with someone, pick up the phone and do it, don't do it over social media. You're just enticing everything. Listen, you don't get shit on social media because you do your podcast. Macklin doesn't get it. Well, he might do a little bit sometimes on the sky. But the, the white van man driver, he doesn't get stick. The car salesman, their children aren't being affected. We're not calling them out. We're not calling them nonsense and everything. It's just... What's, what's going on? They don't understand the repercussions of what's happened. We're just doing our job. Okay, we're in, the, we're in the, the media spotlight, but we're doing our job. And I take all the criticism, wanted criticism, take the tactics, stuff like I can do that, but don't start talking shite and causing shite. You're bang out of order there, and it's just wrong. Sorry for that. But, no, know. no, I, I absolutely echo all of that. It, it, makes, it makes perfect sense, and, and it, it's... 
the way society is now and, and the platforms that people have to voice all sorts of abhorrent views and opinions, it's genie's out of the bottle and I'm not sure it's going back in any any time. But that's where soon. the board that's where the board now can turn around and if they see fellow license holders calling other license holders on social media, pull them in. Do you think the FA would have allowed at the moment Pogba to be slagging off someone else on social media? No, the FA'd have him in and discipline him and go, What are you doing, lads? Moral code conduct. But you go before your license, code of conduct, board, bliss treat pressure all the time Saturday, Saturday night fellow slagging fellow coaches fellow fighters board needs to be stronger get them in what are you doing you're allowing a can of worms to open up here what's the problem nail it the board have to be stronger in it it's interesting that Matt because that, that chimes in with something that Thomas Hauser said to us in New York which is that the boxing's got this this habit of just damaging itself you know if you get he used the World Series as an example but let's say in in, in in domestic football, you get an FA Cup final. All the other clubs say, well, good luck to them. They got to the final. One of them will win. Brilliant day out. Great success. They should be congratulated for it. They don't sit there and say, ah, you shouldn't watch that game. It'll be shit, that game. You know, they're both rubbish. And I'll tell you a few stories about these players and this manager. It, he's right. It, it, it doesn't happen. But, but in boxing, it does happen. Because boxing's a lot more kamikaze. It's a lot more splintered. You know, there's a thing called DFA and a thing called FIFA and there's you know, it's quite centralised, and there's, there's governing bodies. I know there's go- there's too many governing bodies, too many commissions in boxing, um, and people just think, well, if you don't, if they burn their bridge there, they'll just go to the other one. You know, or if you're not, they're not getting the way. You know, if, I don't know. Let's say a television network, a certain powerful promoter isn't getting what he thinks is his fair share with the network. He'll go and do a deal with another network. Do you know what I mean? He's not. There's more than one. It's not centralised enough. It's too. I mean, and that kamikaze, that, that madness, I think, is also a little bit of the intrigue, though, as well. I think, you know, we talk about being as addictive to the, to, the, the, to the madness of the business as we are to the actual sport of boxing itself. And I think, and I think characters that have always been involved in that stuff also create interest and intrigue. You know, the, there was the uh, Cold War a few years back on Showtime and HBO. HBO are gone now. You know, who, who ever would have seen that coming, you know? But it's that sort of mad, you know, Canelo and De La Hoya now falling out over social media. Where's that going to end up? You know, it doesn't seem somewhere any good anyway. That You know, but it, it's, you know, Dana White's on about coming in. Now, Dana White monopolised, or, or, you know, him and his backers monopolised MMA to a degree. I know you've got Bellator and Bama and all these other things, but really, if you want to make money and you want to be known in the, in your, in the MMA world, it's on UFC. That, if that was in boxing, it'd be a lot more easy to control in terms of, you know, you talk about footballers, you know, bringing, who did you say? I don't know, Pogba or whoever in. Because you can, because the, the club have got a big say on things and, and the FA have got a big say on things and above them it's FIFA. People are answerable. In boxing, if you don't like, it's almost like I'll just do a Henry VIII. <laughs> I'll go and I'll go and start my own church. <laughs> you know, if I don't want to abide, if people don't want to abide by the rules, or they get a bit of powerful people get powerful and they want to do something that goes against the grain, they'll just go and set. They'll just start a new commission or something. It's, I mean, we see it, don't we? Well, I, I think as well. I think, and this isn't a go at anyone. I just think boxing's changed as a whole. Years ago, promoters, I would say, promoted. They would be out there, they'd send scribes, they'd send journalists to the gymnasium to do all this, and they'd promote it, they'd be in show, everything else. Now, these days, they'll say to the fighters, 
There's so many tickets. You need to sell them. So the fighters now becoming their own promoters on social John, media. I, I don't know about that, Joe, now. We're, we're, we're at the, uh, the bit here we are, the Wayne today, and the crowds. And I looked around there, and this is literally a last dance for Crawler, which really is a nothing fight. It means nothing in the significance of world boxing. Katie Taylor, yes, stepping up to become a two-weight world champion. That's a significant fight. But I looked around, and I seen the media interest and the crowd that was in the room. And I don't <laughs> think I've seen that in Manchester unless it was a... Hatton Costa Sousa. Well, I actually think that, you know, where has that come from? Obviously, boxing has been massively promoted. And I remember, cause I remember and I said it to Brian Peters, I said, you know, Eddie, Eddie Hearn gets a lot of stick. Look at this today. Look where boxing is. This, this is a nothing fight, really. You know, Katie's is, but I mean, the, you know, the Crawler fight is just the last dance. Mm. And look at the interest there. Mm. I said, you know, you, you've got to hand it to Eddie Hearn. He come in with the social media and he started making fights. And what? When I fought Sturm, how many years ago was that? Eight years ago. He was just kind of, you know, McCluskey, uh, Khan. Yeah. That was when he started coming in, really. Look what he's done mm. to the sport of boxing. He, he, I think Eddie has absolutely promoted the shit out of it. Mm. And, you know, a few things are factors, but I think his work ethic, his personality, mm. his, the people he's employed, the delegation, everything else. I think he has massively promoted boxing oh, the point and changed saying, the game. Yeah, the point I'm saying here, in this so, country. social media when we're saying we shouldn't be slagging each other, but what I'm saying is when it comes to the promotion, there's nothing better that Eddie loves to see someone on Twitter, the two fighters, been able to build the interest and everything else. It's, it's when it's done with it. It's like very hard to... Um, it's hard to draw the line, draw, though, yes, isn't exactly. it? exactly. That's it's the point I'm trying to do. Because, yeah. I mean, I was never really into that. You know, I didn't... I, didn't, I couldn't really slag people off unless they slag me off then, then I could react but I couldn't just build that up uh, you know that weren't me yeah Tony Ballew what a master self-promoter mm. he'd jump out of the ring and get in anyone's face and look what doors it open yeah. Frank, Frank Tony Ballew you know he, he got fights that maybe he wouldn't have got you know and then it, obviously he produced the business in the ring but he, he, he got himself into positions because he, was, he wasn't afraid to be confrontational. He wasn't afraid to slag that. And, and actually, you, you know Tony, he's a good fella, mm. but he, he was happy to play that role. Yeah. You know, and it opened a lot of doors. You know, but I think that's either you were, you know, Conor McGregor, Nassim Hamad, you know, like Chris Eubank. You, are, you either are that way, you know. But, you know, it, it, I think as much as I like the respect and as much as I don't need to see that to buy into a fight, Josh Taylor, Progray's two gentlemen went to war and one of the best fights and one of the fights I've enjoyed ringside in, in, in recent times. But Joe Public loves that shit with people jumping out of the ring and getting each other's house. And gen, best, worst enemies sells better than best friends, whether you like it or not. So it's just where that crosses the line yeah, and gets yeah. nasty, isn't it? But it's, how do you, where do you yeah, stop yeah. that? Yeah. So... With your, with your trainers and, and, and managers hat on, when it comes to advising fighters about how to build their profile, what do, you, what do you say to them? Because it seems to me like you just allow them to be themselves. You wouldn't really countenance them behaving out of character to try and sell tickets because I think that you're happy not to behave out of character, but you're happy to try and take that on for them. I think about Quig Frampton. I think about that fight. I was, oh, Joe's all, very I, in character. I, I was... I was <laughs> <laughs> I was all over that fight. I absolutely loved that fight. I remember being at uh, a couple of the press conferences and the open workouts. I remember at the end of the open workout, you were just discussing uh, with Scott or, or one of the other members of the team what you were going to do the next day at the press conference. And you said, all right, well, yeah, okay, I'll go in on Shane. Um, I'll think of something. 
you know that'll that'll that, yeah that'll work you know I'll, I'll be I'll be the twat again or something like that yeah. and but you you were happy to kind of shoulder that yeah I, I think um, yeah I, I just think the lads the lads in the gym they're, they're all of a like they're all the kids that'll walk down the street the two ladies are talking at the gate my fighters will walk past and say good morning and they'll go that's Bridget's son you wouldn't think he was a boxer would you lovely lad that's that's what I want for my fighters. So Crawler, Paul Smith, Smith Brothers, Callum Smith, Paul Buttle and Natasha, they're all down that thing. As far as the trash talking, it's not in them, but it's knowing sometimes psychologically when you have to get into them. So as Mayweather and Delahoya said at the time, Mayweather said, well, someone's got to be a bad guy, this isn't selling. So Mayweather became the bad guy, laid in a roach, pay-per-view, Delahoya, the whole lot went on. So when it came to that fight you mentioned there, Scott Quigg and Carl Frampton, well... Listen, Scott had done well, but Carl, Carl's cute. Carl's cute. You'd never beat Carl with a mouth. Carl's so cute. And I just thought to myself, time this journey and this tour's finished, his morale could be rock bottom here. Because Carl's just too quick, just too cute for him, Matt, do you understand? Time up in ribbons. So I just thought, I have to take the fucking heat off Scott here, or his head will fall off. So I just thought to myself, Fuck it, I'm going to give it Shane, or as I said to Barry, Mrs. Brown's boys, some type of shite like that I said at the time. Let's be honest, Joe, that's a role you take like a duck to water. <laughs> <laughs> I do, son, I do. So, uh, but uh, it was, uh, so, so that was it, and it was just, it changed, it changed the pressure off Scott, so Scott <laughs> could sit there and not be, because he was getting so much abuse, because every time we tried to be smart with Carl, Carl was... Ham the last one. Just too cute. You've got to know when to pick your fights. So I thought, right, we'll try and build it up that type of way and whatever it was. And like I said in Anthony Crawler's book, someone had to be the prat. And I was willing to be the prat for that one, do you understand? And, but never again would I, because people's perceptions of you, well, might, might, might argue, that it's uh, like that. But you've got to understand when you see your fighters got to go into a scenario where that it could affect them. And going over to Belfast and all that stuff... You're watching your fighter and you're seeing it and you can see what people are saying on social media and what people are saying to him. I couldn't allow him to go under and be beat before he was in there. So I thought, right, I'll take some of the, 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 the stick for you. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Another thing you mentioned earlier on was the the kind of siege mentality that you'd like you like to build at the gym, and uh, and you referenced again uh, Sir Alex and, and Manchester United and, and lots of uh, successful sports teams and coaches have, have done that down the years. Is that is that something that you've you've always deliberately concentrated on? No, uh, Matthew says to me every time I see him now and again and say. Because I was always, where I came from, Mossside, Phil Martin, four British champions at once in the stable. And I was like, wow, Carl Thompson. And uh, Matt used to say to me when he was saying, say, Joe, you surpass that now. You can enjoy it a little bit and smile a little bit. And then he'll see me somewhere else. And he'll go, Joe, not everyone's against you, you know. Do you know what I mean? And try and 
sort of like curbing that. I'm say, yeah, I know, but I feel if I'm not that, I'm not myself, do you understand? I feel I'm fully on it. I feel that you, mentality. You need that to motivate yes, yourself, yeah, don't I you? Feel, you feel, need that to be at the top of your game. Yeah. Like, you know, Joe talking there about uh, Quig and Frampton. Who thinks that deeply into that? No one do they really. They're not many. Most coaches think, well, I'll get him one in the morning, he'll spy this. No one's thinking at the press conference he's going to have him over because he's sharper than him and that's going to kill his confidence and that's going to affect him. That's deep thinking. But, and this is probably what I like, Joe, and I was happy joining Joe, was because I used to overthink him between oh, this and that. You know, I wanted to be prepared. But I knew he had all that covered up because I knew he wanted to win as much as I did. And that, you really don't really get that. Do you know what I mean? But I knew that with Joe. Like you say, he, he's thinking about how your mentality is going to be because someone's a better slagger than you at a press conference. That's pretty obsessive shit. But all the guys at the top are obsessive, generally. Do you know what I mean? It, 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 it takes that. Because you're, you're talking at top level in any sport. You're talking split seconds. You're talking half yards. You're talking that little one-upmanship, mm-hmm. isn't it? Just getting into someone's head, creating that doubt or... Do, do you know what I'm saying? 100%, yeah, no, hundred percent. It's, it's you just listen. I, 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 what I want to do is is be able to go and go. I gave my best. I gave my best, and I prepared in the best that you can do. And like football managers, you go and sit back down on, the, on your bench. You'll go back down the steps. It's up to them to go and do it. And if they do do it, you can, what can you do apart from? Give them the odd bollocking, but I hate bollocking in a corner because I think it's a sign of a bad coach. But sometimes you have to, because you've got to let them realise what's at stake here. I think um, Crawler, Andy Morris has won, and Liam Smith versus Liam Williams has won. Liam Smith caught Liam Williams, I think it was round seven or eight, and um, with a shot, and uh, Beefy was in the ascendancy, and Terry O'Connor went, stop, and brought Beefy to the corner to look at his eye, and Beefy went, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. You try to get him breathe. I had him. I'm going to go out now and fuck him because you did that. You're saying it to Terry Connor. So I came back to the corner and went, Liam, listen, calm down. No one's got to do you any favours here. No one wants you to win here tonight. You've just seen that there with that now. So keep your head on you. Don't be losing the head. Go out there and you'll get it again. The quit cinema is coming, but you've got to say, but don't you think that these have got to do you any favours around this here tonight now? You've got to go out there, but keep that head there. Don't be losing your rag. Little things are trying to pull to make you lose your rag and get off the game plan. Go out there. Anyway, he came back out, did it, and listen, he got the win in what was a, a controversial stoppage or um, Gary Lockett pulled him out. But it's, it's them things. And when Crawler fought Andy Morris, they didn't make that fight for Crawler to win that night. You look at that fight, sat round ringside that night, Crawler won. Everyone round it sat there like that. Like, shit. Didn't want him to win. And it, it just killed him. But do you know what? I thought, yeah, that's, that's absolutely me lunatic material. Callum Johnson, Frank Buglione, another one. Like, nah, payback, do you understand? I'll jump round the lunatic. Like, you all jump round that ring in Manchester when Mose Burton got beat. I thought, nah. I'm having my moment back. It's just stupid, the mentality, the games that go in your head. But it's like, it's like when we're going up against the fighters and a coach beats me. I need to get another fight. I, need, I can't have that, do you understand? And you have to put your hands up at times. Jorge Linares, Lemachenko, it's just, you have to put your hands up at times. But I know them fights, Crawley gave it his all. And you can sleep easy at night. You just have to hold your hands up. But when I haven't, Paul Smith, Abraham. Oh. There was one round, and Abraham, and I thought, 
Go on, Paul, turn it again. Turn it again. It's at that point, you just need to turn it around. And he didn't. I remember banging the canvas and node going up the steel, going, should have turned the screw more then. And you just know them little moments. The fact that I can remember that now, sat here now, plays on my mind. There were them moments and fights that the screw needed to be turned then. It was gone. You didn't, you let him out. And I don't think we'll get him there again. Do you understand, Matthew? Yeah, of course. The, the psychology of a fight, you know, 12 rounds. Most people are looking at jabs and left. But there's, 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 a, there's a psychological battle going on. Sometimes, you said turning the screw there, maybe a physic, from a physical point of view and pacing things, you might think, don't go yet. But actually, he's at that point now where you have to go. You gamble on it and you go and you turn that screw. And, you, and if you don't get it, you might have gassed, you might end up gassing that, but you, you're at that point now where if you keep going, you can break him here. It's like if you're running, let's say we're running a race yeah. somewhere, and you, you're catching up with this guy, all of a sudden you've been behind him, but you're catching him, and he thinks, oh, wait, this guy's catching me now. So he tries to up the pace, thinking that you've worked that hard to catch him. If you up the pace now, okay. you'll break him. But you up the pace, and then he ups it with you again. That could nearly break the guy who tried to up the pace to break him. Do you know what I mean? Because now he's thinking, oh, I can't up it again. Do you know what I mean? That's going on. It's that psychological warfare. Another thing that I always think is is really difficult um, when you're in the role that you're in is that you you care about these these fighters that you you train and you want them to retire having made a few quid, hopefully, having achieved what they wanted to achieve. Have a house. uh, Have a house. That's That's what you always say. And, 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 And to have their health. But this is a hard sport and when you're a trainer you cannot afford to be squeamish and I remember because we covered the fight Marcus Morrison against Jason Wellborn and that was a real test for Marcus as it turned out it was it was a bridge too far at the time and I remember him coming back to his to your corner after you might remember better than me five six rounds maybe and it was hard and you were obviously thinking very hard about shall I leave him in shall I pull him out and I remember you saying to him this is boxing, Marcus. And you left him in there. Mm. Uh, and some people criticise you for that. It's a difficult decision. I thought Joel should have pulled him out there, that fight. I, I was sat ringside. We were managing Melbourne at the time. It was uh, me and Seamus. And uh, he took the guy off at the phone. I said, take that fight. I said, Marcus Morrison hasn't boxed. And I know Marcus from since he was a kid. He come to Vegas with Lee Beard. I said, good kid. I said, but he's fought nobody yet as a pro. He hasn't been in a fight. And I'd fought Jason Wellborn. Do you know what I mean? It ended my career and all the rest of it. But I knew, I knew, I remember thinking, he was a tough fucker, he was. He was tougher than I thought he was, you know, and he was stronger than, and he, you know, he was, he'd lost a load of fights and that, but I thought he, he was up for it and he, he, he took some hard shots. So I thought, all he's got to do is get in there. And I remember in the change room saying to Jason, I said, listen, Jay, all you've got to do, get in there, stick it on him and just keep it on him and do not back up. Just stick it on him and keep it on him. No matter how fucking hard it gets in there, you just stay on him. I said, I'm telling you, he won't be able to go with you. And I remember we were sat ringside. We, um, we got the front row, me and Shams, and we, I literally fucking, my voice was gone. I literally shouted for 10 three-minute rounds because just keeping him motivated, keeping him driven. You know, it didn't really matter what he was getting told in the corner about technicality or tactics. It was about heart and desire. And again, that psychological warfare. And I knew Marcus had never been there and he was undefeated. He'd had everything his own way and it was better, you know, whatever. And I just remember when he jumped on him, I was going, come on, that's it, stay alive. That's it, he's fucked now. It's that psychological thing. And Marcus is probably there back to the road, probably hearing me saying, he's fucked, he's fucked. And he's probably thinking, am I fucked, am I fucked? Because, you know, it's mad when you're Brendan in there. Brendan Ingle stuff yeah, like Yeah, all yeah, these yeah, voices yeah. you're hearing, it's mad stuff. Thinking, I'm a knacker, I'm a knacker, my legs are like that tight. And Wild One's fired up. 
But I did think, you know, in hindsight, I wasn't really thinking about Marcus Morrison. We were thinking about Welbourne at the time. But I remember thinking back afterwards, you probably should have pulled him out in that one. And it's, it's, a, it's, listen, it's a judgment call, yeah. but I just thought, he's not going to win yeah. this, Joe. He, he ain't won around. He's getting snotted now. Yeah. But the, the reason I raised it is because it's just a really good example of what a difficult decision that is. Because yeah. you can find out, I'm sure you found out loads about him that night. Mm. And it's easy for people to say, oh, yeah, you know, he was getting too hard, you should pull him out. But as a trainer, there are things you need to know. And I understood why you left him in. Yeah, I think, listen, we got off to a good start. We nearly had it over. I think it's the end of the first second. Ref perforated in drone. And I thought, why don't it happen? But I've seen Marcus in the gym at the time knocking out good kids, champions, weight divisions above him. And I'm like, the one thing he has got is the power. So when it came to him at the end of round five, it was, and Joe... Tired, and I thought, here we go. I'm like, listen, Marcus, people have paid hard earned money here to come and watch you defend or, or to fight this fight. Just because you've had a bit of a pop and you're feeling a bit fatigued setting in, don't start feeling sorry for yourself, as Matthew say. You go out there, you chin down, you've got the power in them gloves there to turn this around, and you go out there. Don't be coming back here for any sympathy, do you understand? How to, and for fighters for the first time who have never experienced a second wind. Because as soon as they hit it, they go, that's it, I'm done. But through training, they do. The track numerous times, they do. And I said to you, you'll come again, but you've got to weather this storm. You've got to weather the storm. It's only five rounds down. Baba, listen, we got to round six, seven, eight. Maybe I most probably should have I, I pulled the town after eight. But because I knew, and maybe my judgment was clouded by what he'd been doing in training and the, who he'd been knocking over and the power. And I thought, Wellbone was coming. And I thought he was coming, and he was still coming, as Matthew said. But he was getting a little bit more reckless. And I thought, he could still walk onto one here. There was just that puncher's chance, do you understand? And maybe I'd watched too many Rocky films. It, it, but it is hard when your, your fighter carries power and they've got a puncher's chance, because they've got a chance, they're a puncher's chance. So it's, it's a hard one when the fighter still carries power, mm-hmm. because it, it's more difficult to pull them out, because they're still in the fight, because you know that they only need one. So that is more difficult, um, I think... If he didn't have the power to turn it around, then it, it's, it's an easier decision yeah. to make, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I did. Listen, Crawler Linares too, um, at the end of round 11. I seen Jorge in round 11, and he was throwing some fingers, and I thought, do you know what? He's got to try and shut the show here. He's got to try and close the show and style around 12. So I went back to Crawler at the end of round 11, and Crawler's good. But I just tested him. I went, Crawler, listen, thinking about points. And he just straight away, quickly, no, you're not. Well, you know, answer, no, you're not. I'm all right. That's all they needed. Because I thought Lenaro's got to come close to the show. I didn't want you going out half oh, tired and everything else. But he showed me great awareness, one desire. Resilience. There you go. Off you go. You can go out and have the last round. But I asked that to see that because I knew he would try and come or should come and sh- finish the show. And he's a class act, Lenaro's. And he has that in him, do you understand? And I didn't want him to try and close it completely. Okay, so we've got about 10 more minutes. We'd like to hit an hour with these. Uh, it's been really interesting, this. So let's just have a few. Let's have a look at your greatest hits. Let's have a bit of a chat about that. So when you were learning your trade under Phil Martin, uh, I ask people this quite often who, who've gone on to have successful careers. Did you ever imagine you would end up where you are? I, 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 I never... I never would turn around and sit here and said, yeah, I envisage myself being that. But I knew I wanted to test myself against the best in the world.
Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee you the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the one stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan. New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts. One Star Recruits. You know, when you, you, everyone you see on social media, like people talking about, see it, achieve it, believe it, and, you know, if you can see it, you can visualize it and all that. Let me tell you, I don't know anyone in any walk of life that's done more visualizing than Gallagher. <laughs> that I can promise you. That is the most driven man I've ever met in my life in any walk of life. Yeah. You know, he, when, we, when I went started training with him, he only had John Murray. John Murray was turning pro. Yeah. Um, you know, he was working at Manchester Airport. Yeah. So he was going to work at like 11 o'clock at night, working till seven. Nine at night. You know, coming to the track sometimes with us uh, if we were doing the morning one. We'd go back and have a, he'd go back then probably have three three hours sleep. Yeah. Be back in the gym then at twelve. He'd be he'd end up talking till five and you know train twelve till three or whatever. But we finished. He'd be in the gym till five six talking about boxing and this yeah, that yeah. and the other. Then he was going home. He wasn't sleeping. I know he was surviving on three hours sleep a night for years. You know that just because and that was working as well as everything else. And like you say, you know I, I joke about it, about putting you on the map. But it, I think mm. the fact that John Moore had always been with him, but the fact that I'd was a good, you know, turn pro as an amateur, had big hype, then had lost a couple, the Jamie Moore fight and everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, I had a couple of hot tough 10 rounders, campus gear, had all this sort of stuff. Jumped around from trainer to trainer. Then all of a sudden, I've gone, bang, Alcock, bang, Asakainen. Do you know what I mean? It did, it did make people think, ooh, fucking hell, Macklin's hit some form lately, hasn't he? Well, Matt Gallagher must be a good trainer. And I was obviously speaking to me and Paul, very good mates, we boxed bringing the schoolboys together and juniors and everything and we'd always be in touch and I said to Paul and I knew Paul had kind of plateaued a bit over in Liverpool with Danny Vaughan and I said Paul you should come and train with Gallagher and he'd come and inspired me actually and I said I'm telling you he's a good trainer he's on it he's you know trust me so and he waited and he waited he said oh yeah maybe and he'd done the Gale fight lost that fight was thinking about retiring uh, and then anyway comes and tr- uh, over and does a bit with Joe and starts training with Joe then Stephen came then Liam came you know Crawler had come at this point too, and Crawler took those three fifty-fifty fights. Andy Morris, uh, Michael Brody. Did he fight Steve Foster? John Watson. John Watson. Do you know, all of a sudden, Crawler went from getting his contract handed back, uh, Frank Warren losing a, to Gary Sykes and eliminated to like bang up here after three fifty-fifty fights. I'd gone from where I was. So, you know, the proof is in the pudding. You know what I mean? The results. We're in the results business, the results were speaking loud, very loud. And Paul came, Stephen came, Liam came. Who else, come, who else came then? Then, then, uh, then Quig and was it? No, Cruiser, uh, a bit later. I'm just trying to think there at the moment, but we went on that 49 run. Yeah. Then we did the 64 run and all that type of stuff. But what I've always tried to do in the gymnasium is always try to do the lads were up this week filming Crawler and Callum Smith, like the music soundtracks, the heat in the gym, the banter, the crack. Because lads are going to work and in your work environment you need to be happy in it and I've always tried to have a happy environment that Crawler comes in and talks about Love Island 
beefing. See, I've been joking at Crawler. He's retiring because he doesn't want to have the first the banter in May next year when Liverpool win the title. I think he's half copping out, do you understand? But it's just that type of crack and banter and atmosphere in the gymnasium. And I think they're all in it together and they all can pull each other through at times. And a lot of them, like Matthew, they've all come from that squad mentality and it's tried to carry that then in the pros. Okay, so, so far, what would you say has been your highest high? Difficult oh. questions, these. Yeah. Um, God. Right, right, right. Even right at the beginning. I think, just because it's sat here, but Elcott, that was a huge risk for Matthew in a do-or-die fight. First fight, British title, and we smashed it in Birmingham. Absolutely destroyed him. And the manner that we did it and the punch we'd worked on that he did it in was that Crawler beating Andy Morris was another one. Wasn't there to win. Jose Burton winning the British title. Had him since the age of 10, becoming British champion, ABA champion, British champion. Um, I don't know, just to Gary Smith, um, Gary, Stephen Smith beating Gary Buckland with that right uppercut. Callum Smith, Hassan Nadam. Moments when the shot that we worked on, that's a kind of left hook, that come off on the fight, they're no better sweet. That's when you know we like done it. There's just been too many. I couldn't name too many. It's easy to be on my world titles, but there's been some tough fights and small hole shows. Crawler, Kerr and Farrell, that were huge fights for me. So I, I can't answer that. There's been too many. I've just been very privileged to have a lot of good nights with a lot of good fighters. I've got to, um, I don't know if we've got time, but I was going to add a bit. I was going to add a really, really funny story, actually, when, me, when I first went with Joe. And I was kind of at an apartment in Manchester and obviously I'd stayed good friends with Kerry Cates after I'd left Billy and I come up, I'd sort something out of the apartment. I come in the gym to see Kerry and, you know, Kerry was very much singing Joe's praises. And uh, I knew Joe and we'd seen him out in Vegas uh, when he'd been over there with John Murray. He was was on the Friday night card on the Hatton Mayweather. And um, I was going into the gym doing a bit of weights with Kerry, but really I was kind of... Sussing Joe out, you know, because you know, I knew I'd, I'd left Billy. I'd had a couple of fights. I'd had a fight with uh, Buddy. I'd gone out there for another camp, with a, and the fight fell through. And I, the day I got back, uh, then I'd had a couple of fights with Richie Woodall. The first one, he was in Beijing. The second one, you know, I, I'd only done a couple of weeks, but I just didn't feel didn't click in that gym really in Birmingham. I thought, no, not, not for me. And then, but I knew that I had to. Ha- I was mandatory cha- challenger for the British title, and I knew I had a bit of time here now which to actually make an informative decision instead of thinking, shit, I need a train on a boxing in six weeks or eight weeks. I could have actually had a bit of time here. So I was up in Manchester, Susan Joe, and I was doing a bit of training and Joe was mad ambitious to get going. He's only had John Murray. Anyway, Hatton Malinaji were fighting in Vegas. So if we could go out to Vegas and Joe, I'll get out there on the Thursday, whatever. Joe comes in on the Friday. So he's jet lagged. He hasn't slept. We've gone out. Do you want to take over? No. <laughs> I, I, all I remember is waking up the next day going, how on earth, what happened? So then I'm trying to phone Matthew. He's ignored me. I'm in the horrors. No idea what gone on. They'd had me out. We were with um, Juan Diaz and his brother and all that. They're on the shots and everything else. I was flitted. I had no idea where I was. I don't know how I got back to the hotel room. Matthew must have brought me back. But I was in the horrors. But they, he purposely wouldn't answer the phone the next day until I seen no, him at no, the show. No, no, what happened was... So we, we've, gone to this, we've gone to the club and one day I was getting all these shots in. No, I'd do the shots. Joe was doing the shots. Anyway, he's gone to the toilet and he has oh, half an hour. He ain't come back. I've got to go and see what's happened. So I've gone in and he's literally oh. sprawled over getting sick into the toilet. 
And the, the doorman, have, I'm in there, Nixon doorman have come in, Sean, I was going, no nah, man, he's got to go, he's got to go. So I'm like picking him up and he's like all over the place, eyes like this and he's, give, I'm saying, shut up Joe, you're going to get killed, you know what I mean, he was giving it loads. So anyway, I've carried him up to bed. He's, he's, you know, his missus opened the door, put him to bed. But the next day, my battery was dead. That what, so my phone was off. But I remember, <laughs> I remember when I got it on then, and I was, uh, it'd come up on a couple of his calls and that. And uh, I remember my sister said to me, goes, oh, you better ring him back. He's probably in the horrors. You know, he's probably thinking, because he won't remember what's happened, he's yeah, probably thinking, yeah, shit, yeah. what have I done if he's not? You know, that was it. But that was, it was a good, it was no, a good it trip. Was, yeah, Do you know, was. that weekend was in Vegas, and I hadn't, we hadn't spoken really about whether I was going to train, but I'd been up in the gym, and he, he would have you known that I was thinking about it. And I remember when, um, I remember around, around that weekend, probably maybe seven or eight people, you know, some of them are journalists, some people, other trainers, in bo- whatever, people within the boxing circle. They're going, oh, yeah, you fight, you're, you're mandatory to fight Alcock now, and yeah, what, that's good, yeah, who, who are you going to train with? And I was like, uh, well, I'm thinking maybe Joe Gallagher. And every single one of them said to me, you've got to be fucking joking. You, oh, you're not, you can't train with him. Like, proper, like, dismissed it. It's like, you're mad if you go with him. He's mental. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, and, you know, at that point, I, you know, you, you, you can be influenced and swayed, but... So I was, I was listening to what they were saying. I was taking it on board. And then I remember coming back, and I was weighing up what people had said to me. And I just thought, nah, I don't know. I've, I, you know, I've, been, I've gone to that gym now for, every day for a couple of weeks. I've watched him and that, and I thought, nah, I disagree. You know, I think he's... I think he's, he's what I need. You know, I think he's, he's driven. He's on it. You know, he's, he's in that. He wants it as much as John Murray wanted it. I could see he was, I thought, that's what I need. You know, I've had the, I've been with Billy Graham, part of big name things. I thought, you know, what about me? I, want, I need someone that's going to get the best out of me. And I don't need someone to show me how to jab or, you know, my head or whatever. I, I can box. I'm, I'm 26 years, 25 years old, whatever I was. I'd, you know, I'd been around a bit. I'd been involved. I'd been in the world. I'd been in a couple, a couple of gyms, but I, just, I, I wasn't. Things weren't clicking for me. You know, for whatever reason, I wasn't getting the best out myself. And uh, I went against everyone's advice, really. And I, and I, I so I took a chance, didn't I? But it was, but it, it, it paid off. And uh, I do joke when I say put you on the map. But he did get the best out of me and in getting the best out of me and me performing and being, you know, a, a big name fighter really at mm-hmm. the time where it's suddenly gone from here to here. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it did put you, it did put Joe on the map in that sense where other fighters could see that and then Crawler came and Crawler's had a big spike in his performances. So all of a sudden, I've gone from here to here, my performances, Crawler's performances have gone from here to here. You know, it was it was evident to see. So the results spoke for themselves, and that's when Steve Paul came and. Oh, that's oh, it. It's not, it's not, Smith and John Murray. It's yeah. not a coincidence, is it? It's not a coincidence. That thing was saying that with Matthew. It's like Paul Butler at the moment. I think fucking so talented. Because Matthew and Paul were very similar. They were strong. They were men, a bit like Ricky in young men's bodies at the time. And my only regret was I never trained them earlier, and sometimes earlier in the careers. They needed arms rounding more than going, oh, I'm looking good today. They would, I would, 100% would have had Matthew providing everything else and Paul Smith as world champions. 100%. And so just one final one. Crawler's retiring and we talk about how difficult it is for fighters when they, when they call it a day. The first two years are generally accepted to be the, the main hurdle. If you can get past them, you're okay. 
you are just as obsessive about boxing as any of your fighters. I think we've established that over the course of the last hour. And there's no reason why you have to stop doing what you're doing anytime soon. It's, it's entirely up to you. But do you... Worry might not be the right word. Do you wonder that when you finally have to call this a day or, or you decide to, how on earth will you replace it? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I will never retire from boxing. No, I, I, I do. And I think to myself, listen, two, three years, that's it. Listen, I've, I've done a few uh, promotional shows now. I'm getting, the, uh, I'm getting excited about that. I'm wanting to do more of that. But coaching... I don't want to, God rest his soul, be like Brendan or Brian Hughes and keep going. Not like the old Mickey, Mickey films. I'm happy with what I've achieved. There's still more. And I'm not going to rest until I've set them goals and I've achieved them. And I've got the best still out of Liam Butler and Callum Johnson. Their three kids, Sam Hyde and But them three in particular, there's world titles still in them three kids. And that's my goal at the moment. And once I feel that's done, I just feel... Got nothing else to prove, don't nothing else to prove. Listen, it'd be great to be involved in Pundra in TV, but as you say and Matthew say, I've upset, upset too many people for that. But the trouble is, is I'm only upsetting them because, like anything, and I've said it before, if you're no good at your job or you're not selling the right car sales or you're not doing this, you'll get pulled in on a building site and you get a bollocking by the foreman and you go out, you, you, you've done that line of flags there or curbs and there's bend on them, you get, you get a bollocking a fucking for it. So, Everyone, if they do that bad job, needs to be do that, but some people don't, so maybe uh, that, that'll damage me down the line, but I'm very happy with what I've done. I'm happy with my fighters, what they've achieved, and the fact that they chose me to be part of their journey is the best thing ever. Well, Joe, thanks very much. This has been great fun. We'll, we'll do this again, actually, in, in a few months' time. There's, there's absolutely no reason at all. I mean, I could do an hour just on Vegas. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. They're doing an hour in Germany. The, Matthew, that was the best training camp, best fight, best changing room before it and everything. And then we had the Dublin one over there. After, there's just, listen, there's so much. The, the Murrays, Smiths, Quig. There's just, like I say, so privileged to have done it. And, but I still feel... After this now, I still feel I have a point to prove and I'm still not getting the recognition of being a decent trainer yet after everything we've achieved and that's what's still burning, burning me. But I think that's just how you are. I think that's how yeah, you will always sure. feel and that's, why, that's, mm-hmm. that's what drives you and that's why you've achieved what you've achieved. And it, it's, 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 yeah, it's been very interesting this and uh, I, I tell you what, you were, you were extremely brave to take on Macklin when I, I would say he was probably at his peak outside of the ring at that time he, he was formidable in the ring but he was at his peak probably around that time outside of the ring he was not to be tangled with uh, I, I never did it during that no period comment. and I'm extremely glad I didn't because uh, it would have been a TKO early as well uh, so Joe thanks very much for your company no problem uh, thanks for having me on as I say we'll, we'll get you back at some point thanks everybody for listening as always if you can find time to, to write us a review give us a, give us a rating then as I, as I always say that that does help, and yep, stay well, and we'll be back soon. Get someone sneaking round a corner. Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag. Sports Social Podcast Network.